tonight. Uh, I have just a handful of announcements before we start class. Uh, the first one is, is Roger Griffin is in Tupelo at the, in the Tupelo Hospital. I believe he just got transported there today, but I may have the dates wrong. Uh, but he's not doing very well, so please keep him and that family in your prayers. Uh, also, uh, our crew that went up to help uh, with the Hurricane Ida relief had a very successful trip. Uh, they all returned home to us, report that everything went very well. They passed on the church's donation. Uh, to uh, that, that group, so be mindful of that and thank all of you for that support. And then Brother Jim mentioned that the nursing home visit went very well uh, this afternoon as well. That was around 4 o'clock or 4.30 this afternoon. Uh, so thank you all those that, that went there. Um, I'm going to give a quick disclaimer, two disclaimers real quick. Uh, one, I'm on call, uh, so in the event my phone rings, I have to answer it even mid-class, that'll be kind of awkward and weird. So we're gonna pray that doesn't happen. And second, about two minutes ago, I started getting a migraine. Uh, now when I get a migraine, it starts off with a visual disturbance right everywhere wherever I'm trying to look. Uh, so if I just completely butcher the text tonight, just holler at me, because I probably got offline, because I legit am gonna have a hard time reading tonight. Uh, but we'll get through that. Uh, luckily not all of it has to be read, but it's a chapter and a half. So I was kind of hoping I wouldn't have this issue, uh, but we'll get through that uh, tonight. So in way of reminding everybody what we're studying, and y'all know how I am, I like to review a little bit every week because it helps you uh, remember where we are, where we were, and uh, where we're going. So the first thing is, is remember 
We are studying about being the image of God. We were originally created in the image of God, and we were given two tasks. Uh, we unfortunately, human be the human race I mean, failed when we allowed sin to enter the world, and when sin entered the world, we could no longer be the image of God. And so, someone had to come in our place to fix that problem, and that someone was Jesus Christ. And so, what we are supposed to be studying this quarter is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is not supposed to be included in this, but I'm going to cheat tonight, and I'm going to put John in here for a little bit tonight uh, for a variety of reasons. As we went through, we started off with the cross, and we went through the examples of obedience in the cross, and how many of those happened just in that 12 to 18 hour period, the night before and the nine hours on the cross. We went through all those episodes where we saw Jesus do various things. Last week, we introduced you to where Jesus was in a life-threatening situation, and when he was in that situation, how he responded. And how did he respond when he was in a life-threatening situation? He fell asleep. Isn't that something? Right now, why was Jesus Christ able to fall asleep in the middle of a life-threatening situation? He had complete peace. Peace that goes beyond all of our human understanding. And so that was the lesson last week. Because now that we've gone from the obedience of Christ, we're going into the acts of Christ. Things he did before that final act of obedience. And we're going to walk to another one today. And this one is still very close to the cross. And I don't know if I really appreciated just how close it was to the cross until I was studying for tonight's lesson. Uh, Guy Gardner actually taught this the first time we went through this lesson series uh, down in the annex. And so I, it was a completely fresh study for me. I hadn't taught this particular material before. I just knew the outline I wanted to go over. So when I went over today, I was kind of shocked by just how close this particular event was to the cross and how I was a little disappointed in myself for not putting the timeline together. I find I don't do that very often, do, do that very well. I'll read the Bible, but I don't always put the timeline where it should be. And I find the timeline to be very fascinating. And so what we're going to study tonight is the death of Lazarus. Now, what did Jesus do during this process that we can try to emulate as Christians? Because last I checked, ain't nobody in this room going to raise somebody from the dead. So what happened during that particular event that we can emulate, things we can do? And that's what we're going to study. And so we're going to start in John chapter 11. And like I said, it's going to be a good bit of reading. Uh, because I like to let the Bible text itself come to, come to life. Because I can't tell the story as well as the good Lord did, obviously. So we're going to allow that text to come to life. Now, I'm using the English Standard Version tonight. Uh, I actually would prefer, I do not have one, unfortunately. Uh, this is actually my study Bible. If you ever see this thick Bible I use, this is my English Standard Study Bible. I like it because it has the words above, and it has commentary down below. And sometimes that commentary can be thought-provoking, would be the best way to describe it. I wish I had a paper version of a Holmes Christian Standard. That is actually the Bible I study out of with my phone. And if you've never studied the Holmes Christian Standard Bible, I'm not advocating it. I'm not saying I know everything about it. But so far, every time I have heard someone that knew Greek say, what the Greek word really means here, that's exactly what's in Holmes Christian Standard. Every time to the T. And I'm going to tell you when I get to that certain text why I wish I had that Bible tonight, that particular translation. They did a very good job of transliteral Greek to English. Uh, I wish I had it just, and I'll reference it. 
But if you happen to have a Bible app on your phone, when we get into John 11, just go ahead and switch over to Holmes Christian Standard and your version, have it ready, and when we get to that point, I'll let you, I'll let you in on a little secret. Because it brought something out in this text that I had missed for a number of years. So when we get to there, uh, we'll let you know. So let's get started. Verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now Mary and Martha are not uncommon people. We know them throughout the New Testament. We know they were present at various stages in Jesus' life. Verse 2 tells us a unique fact. A fact that oftentimes I think we just kind of run right over. I think it's a very important fact. It says, It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. What is that talking about? Is that future tense or past tense? It sounds like it's past tense. Every version, every commentary I have read... It said, it's not denied that this is written in past tense language. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar. I didn't study the Greek. I didn't read the Greek. I'm just telling you. Everything I saw on this, no one seemed to imply this was a future tense statement. What anointing by a woman to Christ do you recall? Uh, about just a few days before his crucifixion. Yes. It was very similar to the way that they dealt with sheep. Yes. And so Jesus Christ, we have a story. And do you remember whose house he was at when this sinner, this random woman, who Matthew and Matthew and Mark, I think were the two Gospels. I may have that wrong. Don't quote me on that. The two Gospels that record where Jesus is at a dinner and some woman shows up and does what? Do what? And what else did she do? Wash his feet. And what was the lesson Jesus gave those people? Did they like what they, what they were seeing? No, they did not. What did Jesus tell them in response? She did what they did. Yeah. Basically, I showed up as a guest to your house. You didn't wash my feet. That was a custom back then. I couldn't imagine if that was still a custom. No offense. Like, I love y'all, but just not a big foot person. Someone told me I should be a podiatrist one time. I took one look at one person's foot, and I was over that. I was like, nope, going to find a different career. All right? Just, my, just not my thing. But people would come into their house, they would wash people's feet, and Jesus said, she has washed my feet with her tears. And that woman is not named in those previous Gospels. Now, I can't say with 100% certainty that this is the same woman that did it. But I find it very unique that John, the apostle that, John, that Jesus loved drops this name here. Because most commentaries, when they look at the other one, the other anointing, they're like, we don't know who this woman was, as though she's been lost to history. She may not be lost to history. I think that's what's funny about the Bible, is sometimes the answer is so obvious, we just read right past it. Because this is referring to the past tense. Now, there is going to be another washing, mind you, but it hasn't happened yet, and this was written in the past tense. So I just want to call out, if that's the case, do, do your own study. But it's a unique possibility that this is the same woman that actually washed Jesus' feet with her tears, dried his feet with her hair, dried his feet with her hair, etc. So just be aware of that. So verse 3 says, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay, let's digest that verse, or that one sentence. He said, this sickness will not lead to death. What do you think everyone around thought he meant by that? Lazarus wasn't going to die. Then what does Jesus say? Why, is it, why does this sickness exist? To glorify the Son of God. Hmm. If you love someone, and we have no reason to believe that Jesus did not love Lazarus because it specifically says in the text he loved him, would you let them die to glorify God? That's a weird scenario we have never been confronted with in our life. Did Jesus know what was going to happen? Yes, 100%. He knew what was about to happen. He knew it. And he deliberately stayed. Now let's go to the human side of Jesus. Did he love Mary and Martha? Yes. Did he know they were fixing to be in pain? Did he enjoy putting them in that pain? No. That's tough. That's forsaking all others for the glory of God. And it's a lesson that's rarely taught from this particular group of Bible verses. But that's what he said. He said, it's not going to lead to death. It's going to lead to glory for God. That's what it's going to lead to. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in that place where he was. Now, again, someone you know is and care about is sick, and you get the call, hey, they're going to the hospital, what do you do? Do you just sit for two more days? Well, no, you go. I don't know what was going through Jesus' mind, but there is no doubt in me, as compassionate as he was as a human being and God on earth, this was tugging on him as a personal level. It's almost like he knew if he went, he would stop it. So he didn't go. Now, what would you do in this same scenario? Because remember, that's the point of this class. What did God do? Why did he do it? And what was his motivation? In this case, what would Jesus do? Why did he do it? What was his motivation? In the same situation, what is it to you? Would you do the same thing for the same motivation? Now, again, we're never going to be confronted with this exact scenario, but watch the obedience and watch the desire to give God the glory. That's the lesson tonight. The desire to give God the glory. Verse 7, Then after he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? In other words... They're like, you know, last time we were there, they, they, they wanted to stone you. And you just want to go trot off down there again? It sounds like a 
life-threatening situation again. Is Jesus at all concerned about the life-threatening situation of being stoned? Mm-mm. Nope. Because he has that peace we talked about last week. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? Now, now, this is a Jewish day, and he's referring to sunshine. Don't try to find some weird issue with the way the Bible's written. Jesus knew that the, it took 24 hours for the, sun to go, I mean, for the earth to go around the sun. Okay, don't, don't read more into this. Make sure you understand what he's saying. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What light is Jesus talking about? Is it sunlight? God's light. He's referring to it being in him. Right? Jesus is the light of the world. If you remember when he was hanging on the cross just a few weeks ago, what did the sun stop doing? It stopped shining. What Jesus is trying to say here is, if there's light, if I'm here, evil cannot conquer this. But if light is not here, you will stumble. In other words, Christians today, if Jesus is not in you, you will stumble. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, what will happen? I'm going to sit till somebody answers that. If you walk in the light and see in the light, what? The blood of Christ will cleanse you. Meaning, you will be made pure and perfect before God. Let's keep going, verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. In other words, if he's just taking a nap, we're good. Of course, Jesus isn't talking about that. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought it meant he was taking rest and sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now, had Jesus healed anybody that was sick up until this point? This means yes. Yeah, many times. Okay, many times. This is actually towards the end of his life on earth. Many times. Can you imagine their bewilderment? Jesus was given a multiple day notice ahead of time, and he deliberately delayed and didn't go. And he's like, he's falling asleep. We got to go. And they're like, uh, if he's falling asleep, he's going to take a rest. And Jesus goes, no, no, he's dead. You know they had to be perplexed. They're like, no, let me, let me get this straight. Perfect strangers walk up to you, and you heal them. This is someone you love, and you just let him die? That's why he told them ahead of time, this is for the glory of God. It's amazing how often Jesus told his disciples exactly what he was going to do, and they did not believe him. How many times did that happen in his life? Do you imagine how frustrating that was? He told them what was going to happen here, and he tells them, no, guys, he's dead. Let's keep going. Hang on. Okay, verse 15. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, 
so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples. Now, I hate to say it. This is something that I or my redheaded son would say. I'm serious. Like, I have this habit of making, like, one-off comments, and it's not always healthy. But this, this, this is so smart-alecky to the man that's healed the blind. It's hard to believe he even uttered the words. Thomas goes, let us all go so that we may all die with him. You know what I'm saying? Great, let's all go get stoned. I think one of the hardest things Jesus had in his life was keeping his mouth shut. Because, you know, that's what Thomas said. We don't know what he thought. But Jesus did. And I don't know what I would do if I heard what people were thinking about me and I could actually respond to their thoughts instead of just their words. But it had to be a pretty annoying thing for Jesus to put up with. But this statement is dropped, boom, right here in the middle of this story. Here's the deal, the lesson for you. If God says he's going to do something, don't mock what he's going to do. It's not a good habit to be in. Right? Because Jesus never once lied to anybody. He told them, it's not going to end in death. But yet here goes Thomas just... Here we are, what, 16 verses later? Well, we're all going to go die with him. Go get it over with. It's kind of like when any team goes and plays Alabama. You know what's about to happen. It's going to be a bad Saturday. Except this isn't football. This is legit life and death. And in Thomas' defense, he legitimately believed they were going to their death. And he had reason to believe that. So let's just keep going and see the rest of the story. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. That's going to be a very important number. And I know you know that. I know you studied this, testing, this lesson before. But I really want you to hone in on the four days. That's going to be very, very important. And I hope I bring something out in this that you have never thought of. And I'm not saying I know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying I think there may be something to that four days number. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. In other words, Jesus was close. This is like Boonville and Tupelo in today's times. It takes about 20 minutes to get there. You could walk, distant, distant, walk at a distant, decent pace or ride a donkey at a decent pace. You could be there in 20, 30 minutes. Not very far away. I know some kids that could be there in like 10 minutes, running. Wasn't that far. But remember, he waited those four full days. And it says, verse 19, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. You've seen this before. Someone dies, especially when a younger person, I don't know why I think Lazarus is younger, I just get the impression he was. Especially when someone younger dies, you see that big throng of people that show up. And so a lot of the Jews have actually left Jerusalem that know the family, and they've gone out to comfort them. It's only two days away. I mean, it's only two miles away. The people in Bethany, it's a small village. They're there to comfort them, and they're consoling them in the loss of their brother. Verse 20, 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now that sounds as though Mary was, didn't want to see Christ. That's not the case. We know that's not the case because the Bible tells us that in a few minutes. So don't, don't let that misconstrue your thinking here. For some reason, Martha heard that Jesus was coming and Mary did not. Maybe she was crying. Maybe she was in a different part of the house. I don't know. But we know Mary didn't know this. Let's keep going. Verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Was that a true statement? Could have been. Would that have stung the human side of Jesus a little bit? Of course it would have. There is no... You know how when you're at like a funeral home, the visitation, not the funeral part, and like you get yourself together and people are coming through the line and then certain people show up and it hits you again? That's only happened to me. No, everyone knows that. This woman has so much faith in Jesus, she said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. This was not probably spoken in the most calm manner. It could have come across angry, it could have come across sad, it could have come across broken, or all three all in the same emotion. That's going to be very important for you to remember. This is what Jesus got hit with when he walked into the door. Now, she was not insulting Jesus. Make sure we understand that. This woman is sad and she's upset. She's not mocking Jesus. She's basically having an incredible faith that if you had been here, it, this wouldn't have happened. Verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What is she asking for? Bringing back a lot. How many people in this room have that kind of faith right now? That's impressive. This man's been in the grave four days. And she says, if you'd been here, he wouldn't be there. But you know, if you will it, anything's possible. Let's say you're a Pharisee and you heard old Jesus was coming to town because you quite literally put a price on his head. And you're in the crowd that's kind of sneaked in and you've kind of heard this statement. Are you a little jealous? A little angry? A little mad? Oh yeah, we're going to see that in just a minute. But think of the other people that heard it. Maybe those people that weren't quite believing in Jesus just yet. Maybe that group of people that just hadn't quite decided, you know, this is my Savior. This is the Messiah. One of a couple of reactions is going to happen. This woman has lost her mind. Or, wow, she really does believe in him. Or, is this dude fixing a raise from the dead? Let's keep reading. Jesus said to her, Your brother will 
rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. In other words, she had complete faith that her, son, that her brother was going to make it into eternity. She had complete faith in that. And you almost see Jesus just look at her real, real, real close. You know how when you really want someone to understand what you're talking about, what you're really getting at? You lean in just a little bit more. Your facial expression changes just a little bit. That's what Jesus is about to do. Now, why do I know that? Because he's a human being. And God all at the same time. And he knew human beings better than anyone that's ever walked this earth. Because he created them. What does he tell her? Verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He just told her, I am the Messiah. He did not do that very often on earth. In fact, he usually discouraged people from saying that. What is her response? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Did she get it? Yeah. The thief on the cross, or excuse me, the criminal on the cross, got it. His 12 apostles still haven't gotten it. But he didn't miss words this time. Verse 28, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. That's how we know Mary wasn't aware that Jesus was here. Because if she knew that, there was no reason to tell her she was, he was there. See the difference? See the logic? And by the way, he wants to see you. Now you have to understand, Jesus was quite literally a national celebrity at this point in his, in his ministry. He was both loved and he was both hated. And she says, he wants to see you. Now they know he's busy, they've seen his work ethic, quite literally, firsthand. He's here, go see him. Verse 29, And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So he's not actually in Bethany yet, he's still on the way to Bethany when she comes out. Verse 31, When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, this is a scene we've seen in our lives, scenes we don't like talking about, where someone becomes overcome with grief and they run out and they want to go see the person that has died. At this point, she runs out to the, they assume she's running to the cemetery. Was she going to see her dead brother's grave? No. But what does a crowd of people there to comfort mourners do? They follow. Sometimes even when you don't want them to. 
they follow. So there is a crowd that has now moved from her house to where Jesus is at with her. Now when Mary came, now hang on, time out, I forgot that part. Did Jesus necessarily want that to happen? Probably not. Now why? Because Martha said it in private. Almost like, almost like she was aware of the fact that people were there that may not actually want to see Jesus stay alive much longer. Almost in a protective sense. Like he's coming to see us and these people are going to kill him. So she takes off, which by the way is what we should all do in our lives when we're having problems. Take off towards Jesus and not run the opposite direction. Verse 32, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He got hit a second time with this statement. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, this is what almost every text says, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Anybody have their Bible app open and switch over to Holmes Christian Standard Bible? And I want you to look right there and see what word it uses. Angry. I've been a Christian a long time. I have never seen the word anger put in this text. But when you read commentary on this, they mention anger was mixed in with this emotion. The word is so strong in the Greek, it's a multi-emotional word. Why would Jesus be angry right now? And the reason I'm asking why would he, the anger emotion show up is because you've heard the other side of the emotions taught from this pulpit and other classes your whole life. But anger is not something you've probably heard before. But it's there. Read a commentary on it. Why would he be angry? It's a really good answer. She said because he's dead. Or because he wasn't there. It's a complex emotion. Here's a quick question. Was Lazarus ever supposed to die? No. No, he was never supposed to die. No one was. Get back to the original part of this lesson text. You were created in the image of God to rule over this earth. Death was not supposed to be here. What brought it here? Sin. Yeah, it was because Lazarus was dead. Now, in that context, why is he angry? Oh, and by the way, he's going to be hanging on a cross in six days. Why is he angry? I don't know why modern translations don't drop the word anger in there. Because it makes perfect sense. Does God like sin? No. Was anything made at creation that Jesus didn't make? No. He was there. He knew the plan. 
So now he's here a week before he's supposed to be on that cross. And his friends are hurting because of what the devil did in the garden 4,000 years ago, roughly, give or take a few hundred years. And he's fixing to be beaten and hung on a cross because of what Satan did, give or take, 4,000 years earlier. Did he want to be on that cross? Did he want human beings to feel pain? No. Did he want human beings to ever feel sadness? No. They were supposed to walk with God in the presence of God in the garden. That was the image we were supposed to be created in. This wasn't supposed to happen. And he was angry. Yeah, he was sad. He was deeply moved in his spirit. Those are all true words. But don't miss this part. There is a war going on for your soul that should have never happened. And our Creator is not happy that it's happening. Do you get that fact? And have you ever thought about it with this context of this particular miracle? And if you've never thought of that, and you thought about it for the first time and not, I've done my job as a teacher. If you had, I wish you told me this a long time, because then I wouldn't have to teach this. Because I never thought about it. Until I was reading another text, and studied and came across that word, and then went to a commentary and was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would he be angry? And I read through it and I went, it makes so much more sense. Of course he was angry. Let's keep reading. Verse 34, and he said, where have you laid him? Hmm. Where have you laid him? He's been dead four days. And Jesus asked a question about a death and someone in a tomb. One week before he's going to be in a tomb. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept is verse 35. Now, if you ever do some tearing of scripture in last leaders, this is the verse you're going to memorize because it's only two words long. But have you ever been so angry you cried? That's a weird emotion, isn't it? Not one we human beings want to feel very often. Don't miss that part. Yes, he was deeply moved. Yes, he was sad. Yes, he had compassion. But there was anger involved in this too. And he cried. What's weird is, he knew what he was fixing to do. Which is why, if this is about Lazarus being dead, it makes absolutely no sense. None. He's not weeping for Lazarus. I don't even think he's weeping for Mary and Martha. I think he's weeping for the entire creation. And possibly himself. Now let's keep going. It says he 
wept. Hang on. That's what I'm talking about. We're good. Sorry. Verse 38. No, I skipped verse 36. I'm sorry. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Kind of sounds like he saved others, but he can't save himself. He was going to destroy the temple in three days. If you are the Messiah, come down from that cross. Verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Same word, by the way, used right before Jesus wept. Same emotion a second time. It says that he came to the tomb, it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Whew, is this not a little bit of foreshadowing for what's fixing to happen to him? A stone, a cave, a dead man inside of it, a dead man fixing to be alive. Martha, the sister, oh wait, I'm sorry, I, I skipped ahead on purpose that time. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. 2 Peter 3, 8 says, to God, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Multiple people have counted the genealogies going all the way back to creation, and all estimate there's about 4,000 years between this moment and the start of earth. How long had men been in captivity to sin? How many years? 4,000. How many days was Lazarus in the tomb? Four days. If the genealogy counting is correct. Now she says, Lord, he's going to be stinking. See, the moment you die, the bacteria in your gut start to eat you. Your body fills up with gas and your organs start to decay. By day three, you're starting to blow up. You ever seen a deer or a dog hit on the side of the road and their leg is sticking out straight because they're blown up? That is the point that, you, that Lazarus is at. Now, I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just making sure you understand. This man was not just kind of stinking. He was stinking so bad when his body came out of the tomb, the tomb would still have been stinking. This would have taken a lot of Clorox to get rid of this stink. What does Jesus see like, what does Jesus, excuse me, what does God see us when we are in sin? That. Putrid, stinking, nasty, disgusting. What did Jesus say? Lazarus, come out. This is a very interesting part of the story. Part of the story we tend to overlook. I don't think Jesus walked. Excuse me. I don't think Lazarus walked here. Now, I'm speeding up the story a little bit because I took too much long in the front end. Why do I don't think Jesus... Why do I think Lazarus didn't walk? Because he was completely bound up. What are, what are we in our sins before Jesus removes those bindings? We're bound. 
Lazarus was filthy, decay, and stinking, just like you are before you see Jesus Christ, just before you enter into him when you get baptized. He was disgusting. From the dawn of creation until this moment, man had been tied, bound in sin. Lazarus comes out of the tomb. We don't know how exactly because he was bound so tight he couldn't even move. And Jesus said, take that off. One week from now, Jesus is going to take those bindings off forever. Now, the reason I keep saying one week, don't stop the study at this class. I want you to read the rest of this chapter and the next chapter. And I want you to look at what Jesus did and what they tried to do to Lazarus because he lived. But I think the raising of Lazarus is a direct example of what Jesus Christ actually did for humanity the day he got on the cross. We are dead to our sins. We are bound to an eternal hell. But when you put Jesus on and he calls you forward, all that is taken away. All of it. Let's end class in a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the example of your Son. We're thankful for his obedience, for his willingness to give you the glory, Lord, for the death that he did, Heavenly Father, so that we may have sin and be able, so we may be over our sins, Lord, and spend the rest of eternity with you. Let us have the faith of Mary and Martha, Heavenly Father, to know that with you anything is possible. Lord, bless this class and all those that are here tonight. Be with them as they go throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much.